Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dr. Drew here, and this is just a reminder that the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care or medical evaluation. This is purely for entertainment and education. We hope you learn something. But see your doctor, get proper medical care. I want to mention our friends at Bergamot Sport, a supplement that provides all the cardiovascular benefits of the original Bergamot, but with additional additives designed to aid athletes and those with active lifestyles. Bergamot Sport is recommended and used by professional and college athletes throughout the world, helps them improve stamina, reduce recovery time, and muscle inflammation. Bergamot Sport is informed sport certified, so athletes can feel confident that it's all natural and it has been banned substance tested. But even if you're not a pro athlete or just getting a workout once a week or so, Bergamot Sport is still worth a try. It can help you work out harder, recover easier, without worrying about being sore or tired the next day. I've used the products myself. I've recommended them to patients. We use them in our family. And I've done so just as physicians and cardiologists around the world have done. And Bergamot Plus is excellent for what's called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which has just passed all other forms of liver disease in terms of causing cirrhosis. So it's something that is... So it's something that is a major health issue presently and needs to be paid attention to. For a limited time, our listeners can save 10% on their order by entering code DRDREW at checkout. That is D-R-D-R-E-W, all one word. Try Bergamot Sport for yourself. Visit bergamot.com, that is B-E-R-G-A-M-E-T.com, or just click the Bergamot banner at drdrew.com. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Floyd and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather around the iPad, get Granny out of the spare bedroom, and come and listen to another episode of This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest. Why, why Granny? Why is it always Granny? Because it used to be for, dec- why not for dad, multi-generations, bro, bro. you had your grandma living at home or grandpa, because grandpa usually dies earlier. We got some doctors you just, here. You have in your mind one of those wooden radios with this, those. I, yeah, <laughs> and everyone gets in the living room mm-hmm. and joins together as a family and shares in something. We don't do that anymore. No, so, it's a pity. It's so, so funny. South Park did an episode where he walks into the uh, television room and he's, he's all dusty and he starts running his hand down the TV because <laughs> no one no one's watching TV anymore. His family used to gather and watch television. We used to complain about that. Yeah. All right. Let me introduce our guest. First, it's uh, Claudia Christian. Uh, she's best known for her work in the television series Babylon, Babylon 5. Babylon uh, Right. And we also have Dr. John Mendelson. Uh, is you assistant associate clinical professor or no, full, I'm a full professor? I'm a full, full professor. professor. Uh, clinical professor of medicine at UCSF. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about, he's the founder of Rhea Health, is that right? Mm-hmm. Tell, me about Rhea Rhea, Health. Rhea, tell me about Rhea Health. Rhea Health, well, I, I, I'm an internist. I've done a lot of work over the years funded by the NIH and uh, NIDA and NIAAA. And Rhea Health, we use, uh, we use a technology platform and uh, medications and uh, breathalyzers and coaching to uh, decrease people's drinking. And we've been live about a year now. We've treated, over, we've treated a substantial number of patients. And we're showing about a 70% objective suppression of drinking as measured by breathalyzers and an increase in non-drinking days from about 1.5 to about four days per week in, in our patients. 
Okay. Right. And Claudia, you have a story. <laughs> I've got a lot of stories, Drew. <laughs> yes, we'll hear them. We'll uh, we've heard them. Yeah. We'll, well I'm probably here because I advocate a treatment that I've been on since 2009 called the Sinclair Method, mm-hmm. which um, basically is very simple. Uh, you take a, a tablet of naltrexone an hour before you drink, and your drinking gradually diminishes. Your cravings, most importantly, go away. I was one of those people that... As much as I did the 12-step programs, AA in two different countries, 18 different meetings, uh, traditional rehab, that sort of thing, psychotherapy, therapy, I had a consistent, as they say in AA, white knuckling or uh, dry drunk. I was not a very happy sober person as opposed to a lot of people. is that, that because of the that, irritability of the desire to use? It was it was the it was the craving and, and sort of the, the 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 confusion as to how my brain changed and what happened when the compulsion crept in. Um, I I'm not a person who has other compulsive behaviors, so I don't. I, I, it was just very. It was a complicated time for me. So I found that this treatment um, made a um, obviously a massive difference in my life. It saved my life, um, and through the years, it's just. You would just become disinterested in alcohol. It's not important anymore. It's not a focus. And I, most importantly to me, I don't think about it. And that was the most important thing was when I was actively sober and participating in, in, in that, I, I, just, I was constantly thinking about it. So it was the compulsive thought pattern that I needed to eliminate in order to find my freedom. Everybody's recovery story is different. Did you stay with the program also or just not so much anymore? With TSM? No, no. With well, that, I want to know if you stayed with that. I want to know if you've had other medical management. But are you still in an, in a program of recovery of some type? My recovery is the Sinclair method and and helping other people. That's Does it my come recovery. with therapy? You can do it. Ther- this is the thing: is since, as we all know, every every single individual is different. Mm-hmm. Some people definitely need CBT. Um, some people uh, are drinking because of traumatic reasons. Some people are also real, just biological uh, addicts. Oh, yeah. Um, I deal with a lot of people that have a pressing need for privacy, uh, airline pilots, police officers, mm. lawyers, doctors, um, they seem to just want to, they want a harm reduction. They yeah. want to, they want to decrease their drinking because it's, it's, it's affecting their relationships or their profession in an adverse manner. A lot of people come to me with health issues. They're, they're gaining weight because they're drinking too much wine. They're not as attentive with their children because of their drinking but these are not people that you would you would say are, are chronic physically dependent alcohol dependent people mm-hmm. there's there they have suffer from a myriad of alcohol use disorders so to answer your question does every single person that comes to me and is successful with tsm use therapy no not every single one of them it mm-hmm. it really has to be adapted per individual it's not it's not a magic pill it's not good you know what i mean you have to first of all compliance is everything you have to comply. If you don't, why not do? Why not use a Vivitrol? I. This is the way I. Th- uh, I'm once again. I. I believe that e- anything anybody uses. I don't care if it's grapefruit yeah, or too. a shot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's a brownie that helped you. I don't. You know, whatever helps you helps you. Um, you know, from from cannabis oil to whatever. I don't care as long as you're better. I'm happy for you. Um, Vivitrol for me personally, I didn't want an opiate antagonist in my system twenty four seven because I. I the science behind targeted extinction made sense to me to introduce the behavior you want to stop gambling, porn addiction, alcohol drinking to the opiate antagonist for that limited amount of time. I didn't want to wake up in the morning and work out, uh, make love, eat spicy food, play with animals, and have that blocked. 
Did you, did you notice when you took the the uh, That's important what she said. Yeah, but listen, did you, did you notice that it blocked all that when you took it? I noticed that uh, not with the targeted, uh, but when I was, as an experiment, staying on naltrexone, even when I wasn't engaging in drinking alcohol, mm-hmm. I did notice uh, I didn't have the washout days. TSM is a, is a dual therapy. In other words, on your days that you don't drink and you don't take naltrexone, if you engage in good endorphin-producing activities, those activities become really great. I got addicted to Pilates. Uh, I have people who get addicted to wood carving. or I, I mean addicted in the sense that it's not a bad it addiction. It becomes important. It becomes an important. It's a replacement mm-hmm. activity. So instead of the boredom of mm-hmm. drinking or the excessive drinking, they start working out more, bodybuilding, um, did, all of these Did you things. try any other medical aids? I didn't. Uh, I didn't try any more medical aids. Um, a campersate? No, I didn't try a campersate, baclofen, gabapentin. All of these came really after. I, I started this in two thousand nine. So I mean, I know they've been around forever, but I wasn't aware of them when I went to traditional rehab. Nobody told me about any medication. I did the research on my own. Now let's uh, just debrief for people at home because yeah. the four of us know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But we're big advocates of naltrexone. But nobody seems to listen to us. They love Suboxone. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know why. Doc, why is that? Well, Suboxone is one of the drugs I helped develop, and I do know why, because opiate dependence is a different disease than alcohol dependence. But, uh, so, but you for know, opiate but, addicts, why is naltrexone not a popular replacement oh, therapy? Well, well, okay, it's not a replacement therapy, naltrexone, for opiate addiction. It's an antagonist therapy. So people actually aren't, aren't they're but still... But it does decrease cravings. Uh, not initially. It would be several months. Naltrexone and opiate dependence works primarily by blocking, blocking opiates when yes. people use them. The naltrexone in Suboxone and the Naloxone in Suboxone, and that was mostly my work that did this, doesn't actually interfere with the buprenorphine at all. It just makes it so that the people abuse the, the Suboxone parenterally, meaning they inject it, right? Then they don't get as much of an effect, and they don't get any effect of other opioids. Our, our biggest problem, we don't, so, they don't have to inject it because they're diverting it all over the place yes, and yes. using it like crazy now. There's such a and, huge black market of Suboxone, so, we can't even stand so, it. So our... Our work, and this is a totally different conversation. We yeah, probably yeah, should have it at a different time. Into it, yeah. uh, is that uh, is that uh, the the addition of naloxone? And I wrote most of the papers on this topic, so uh, I'm still one of the leading experts in this area. Is that we anticipated there would be diversion, but the diversion would not be parenteral. There would not be in. No, I know, but we have massive diversion with this. So, with the, with so you the can't get. So stuff. you can't get everything. You can't get everything out of every. So, so they don't need to be using parenteral because uh, well, well, they're well, using well, big doses. Well, well, slow down. So, so, slow down a second. So that the, the big consequences of of injection drug use are injection. Right, so Hep C, HIV, abscesses, endocarditis. Our, our patients die of oral opiate, oral benzo. That's yeah. what kills them. Yeah, and, they, and they don't die of injection. So, so the so much. oral. That's a, that's again. We should have this is a. You should invite me back down for a longer conversation about benzodiazepines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so my training is actually in clinical pharmacology, mm-hmm. and actually I've you know um, published a lot in this territory. And uh, and uh, the the interaction of benzodiazepines and opiates is a complicated, poorly understood interaction. It doesn't it doesn't appear to be pharmacokinetic, meaning it doesn't appear to, to be so that you take take the two drugs together and you look at the blood levels of both of them. It yep. does not appear that the blood levels no. predict the out, bad outcomes. Right, right. So what is predicting the bad outcome? And I understand you're an internist. Yeah. So it could be loss of airway. Could be loss of airway. You know, like that that the uh, the uh, 
you get some you get uh, some suppression of airway control with the benzodiazepine and some vomiting with the uh, with the uh, with the opiate. No, our guys uh, don't vomit; they just stop breathing. They stop. Okay. Well, in that case, we we don't really understand. It's the, just uh, some synergistic effect on the chemotactic. Yeah, but the, the but why it doesn't? But why it doesn't occur earlier or consistently or repeatedly is is really unknown. So it could also be a uh, uh, you could have an acute PK change uh, due yeah. to uh, like grapefruit you know due to an interaction like uh, uh, you know a three A four inhibitor. But now we're going into the weeds of an area that yeah. that, that doesn't have anything to do with alcohol abuse. Right, and, but, it, but, it's, uh, but usually, it's, it's, it's usually a slight bump. It, and, it's usually a moderately can, heavy oral opioid user who's using it quote as can, prescribed who who bumps the benzo a so, little bit. Yeah, and that's so, when they die. So can I? Yeah, can I ask? Like how many deaths you've actually seen? Like, like oh. I, I see a good joke in medicine that we always tell. So you know, like if I've seen something once in my entire yeah. career, I yeah. say it I, in my experience. Yeah, yeah, as a physician, if I've seen something oh. twice, I say in my series. Yeah, how, and, how many? And if I've seen three, I, I know what you maybe because yeah. they impact on us emotionally. Yeah. Bob, what would you say? How many patients do we have benzo opioid deaths? Me hundreds. Yeah, I would say hundreds. hundreds. I would say hundreds and hundreds. Oh. Wow, that's that. Uh, that that's my not. Nephew. And this is prescribed opiates yes. mixed yes. with. Our well, patients, no, nowadays they're, they're getting the illicit pills. But I mean, we're going down a rabbit hole, okay, like you okay, said. Yeah. Yeah. The naloxone. I'm telling you, yeah. I I always encourage people. Yeah. Right, and they report once they connect yeah. and get to the other side of sobriety. One thing is, I always say yeah. it takes three months yeah. to really detox. Yeah. So people. Think in terms yeah, of yeah, fourteen sure. the, the on a cellular the, level. Yeah, if they can make it that far, yes. If I they would, can make I'd, it I'd ninety days, and then they take the on and they report the same things that you as an alcoholic are reporting in opiate addicts are telling me. It really, I notice a difference. Mm-hmm. So, but somehow our insurances don't cover it, or no, no, somehow they, it's just not as popular. Because you have to get people to the other side of uh, of uh, you have to get them through the withdrawal phase, and that's the that's the hard part. You can part. taper on this, though. And some companies, uh, you know, uh, some companies, uh, there's a, a group, there are people who do imp- like there's the Coleman procedure, and there's a well. But here's what's crazy: you, we ran a program for 25 years. Yeah. Never once did we say to one another, "Oh my God, we got to do something with these heroin addicts in withdrawal. We can't get anybody through." We we never had any trouble getting people off yeah. opiates. Never. Uh-huh. We had we had. It was like we would did we used all the things at our disposal and used them and everyone got off and everyone on their way and, and you know we used them for months and months we treat them yeah but we never once said to ourselves our big problem is getting the post acute withdrawal syndrome under control or getting them off heroin yeah. ever well there's never there, a problem there's a post there's there's certainly a prolonged we, post it was the triggers it. triggers and, and cravings yeah. what, is what we're exactly. talking about triggers and, and cravings and, is what you were talking and, about and, with alcohol and yeah. so even and, though you're sober. It just won't go away. And so Vivitrol, yes. Vivitrol yes. has been promoted, and you know, yeah. like I mean, Vivitrol is now actively selling itself as an as a as an opiate tre- treatment for opiate dependence, and the uptake is still pretty slow compared yeah. to you know buprenorphine or or methadone. In in, in and, regards and, to Vivitrol with alcohol, though, you're talking twelve hundred dollars a month as opposed to nine fifty. Yeah, or It came down since and, you and, were okay. Good. And and and, <laughs> and my and my and my screen act. Screen Actors Guild Insurance will give me thirty naltrexone for ten bucks. So, okay, there and you, you go. only take it if you drink. So, That's you that know. is truth. That's great. Is what is yeah. affordable. That's, that's, that's it. That's that's it. it. And, and, Viv- and Vivitrol made, is primarily just made my decision. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Vivitrol also doesn't. So one of the things that we've worked on that I worked on before we started RIA was uh, medication adherence monitoring systems, and we built that into RIA. As part of our system, so that we're quite interested in, we have people photograph the pill in their hand or or 
tick a box for for checking it. Um, and then you test and, what else they're taking, what other drugs they might be using. Um, we're not doing that. Uh, no, we're doing a telemedicine program because that's so our other problem. All our suboxone patients are taking other substances. Absolutely, and 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 that's uh, that's humans. Uh, you know, like, uh, that's that's the world we live in. Is that people take a lot of things, and you have to. You have well, to not f- not when we go abstinence. They don't take anything. They yeah, just, well, they, but, they, they do pretty but, damn well. Well, you but, also can't take naltrexone if you're drinking and taking opiates, because you'll go into right, detox, opiate withdrawal, <laughs> withdrawal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you have to be. But I love the idea. We used, we used to use naltrexone a lot back in the day, and um, it's a really good just drug. Out of yeah. favor, it's yeah. a, it, it's you a know, really you know, good low, drug. Low dose, low dose naltrexone, which is also another rabbit hole. Um, by being low dose twenty five. Low 10? dose, no point five. Whoa! Uh, and one milligram is used for uh, fibromyalgia, MS, um, yeah. a, a neurological makes, yeah, disorders, that. chronic pain, yeah. HIV, cancer. And this is so interesting to me. Is like, I go to the LDN conventions every couple of years, and they do not. Uh, it's not FDA approved in low dose, but of course it's approved at fifty milligrams for alcohol use. Yes. So, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, you can it's always go a, lower. On but the it dose, is though. really a miracle. These opiate antagonists are. Miracle drugs, because if you uptake it, if you take it at night in very low dose, it'll it'll hit that endorphin system when the human body creates the most endorphins but about 3 o'clock in the morning or so. The next day, pain's gone, you feel terrific. Whereas mm-hmm. if you take 50 milligrams in targeted extinction, of course, you're blocking that compulsive behavior. One, one milligram? Point point five one or one. Well, what I do, or or I, I, for my friends with fibromyalgia, I give them one fifty milligram tablet. That to me is fascinating. They distill water. I've always felt fibromyalgia was some kind of a sleep Mm -hmm. disturbance. The biology of sleep is off. I don't know why. Yeah, take it at at bedtime. That to me is intriguing. Between one milligram and three milligrams, and I'm telling you, I have. Have you tried higher? Tried like ten? I have. I have one friend uh, in England who's now up to about seven milligrams, and she's gotten rid of her walker she had actually a and, and walker. why not you go right to seven or ten because you have to build up it's a, it, it disrupts sleep sometimes and oh. and, and it's it's called tirating titrating yes titrating excuse me i didn't want to say that wrong yeah so so they she started at 0.5 and went up to about seven yeah milligrams. it's I mean, really think, a phenomenal i think you know within within the addiction universe the the, yeah. the right dose of naltrexone is not well known and I think some of the differences in the dose ranging that are, people need is due to bioavailability. That likely that likely some people don't absorb as much as others, and that they that mm-hmm. and, or they clear it faster. And uh, if you would if you would if you're willing to if you're willing to move the dose around, you can get a long way. What, what did you take for your tri- for your uh... Uh, for for drinking, for drinking. Uh, fifty. I started right at fifty milligrams, but nowadays we tell people to start at twenty five for four four drinking sessions to get their so, uh, body used to it. However, I have a lot of people on seventy five to hundred. It's safe up to three hundred. I never milligrams noticed people having much side effects from fifty. No, it's, the only thing the nausea is the number one side effect, and I, and I always tell people, well, you got to eat before yeah, taking yeah. it, like yeah. any so, medication. Yeah, you, so, you eat, drink water, let it. Go some people feel system. really fatigued and weird, but that we fit, usually when they're on away. other meds, though, right? That's when I've seen that. You if know, you're super clean. I started it when I was four months sober, you know, and I yeah. felt it in my system, uh, definitely. So we could probably answer that question. I haven't answered that systematically at this yeah. point. Um, uh, you know, we built a system where people can actually track. Uh, we can track their medicines. We can track what time they're taking them and which ones. And we can track their blood alcohol concentrations and uh, after episodes of drinking. That's how, we, that's how we know to adjust the naltrexone dose. We're using a quantitative approach that's really similar to what people would do for high blood pressure or diabetes. 
And uh, and uh, that's I think one of the big missing pieces in in addiction care is that is that you say let's get to abstinence, but you don't have any intermediate marker points that you let people get to mm-hmm. or quantify. And if you don't do that, you're, most, people like, most people are not going to get to excellent blood pressure control on one medication. And if you don't measure it, you won't know, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, and so you have to have a way to count. And, uh, and uh, the mechanisms of counting have been what uh, – That's uh, always been the problem. And it, it Totally, totally. And we, we built a couple of those in the research world, and we're now putting those into they, the into – the, into no, no, we don't use the SCRAM system, the, 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 the transcutaneous alcohol. How do, you, how do you do it? Well, again, we have people breathalyze frequently. The breathalyzer is paired with a smartphone. The data comes right to – Oh, they do the, it. The, 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 we have an app. The app notifies you when you should be breathalyzing. Mm-hmm. And then we get a reading around that time. And then, and then, and then they – you know, Smart. We, 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 we follow that. It helps that. with accountability and, and, and adherence. Exactly. And, and, you can, and, and you can see therapeutic response, right, or not. Right, if you're not getting a response, you can you can do something different. You can up the dose. You can change the meds. You can add more counseling or more therapy. You can do whatever you need to I'm do. I'm sure. I'm but, sure it's working. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm I'm open minded yeah. about whatever will work. Yeah. My heart of hearts is in what uh, will work for the masses. You yeah, have 17 exactly. million opiate addicts yeah. that just appeared out of thin air thanks yeah. to Purdue Pharmaceuticals. Uh, we actually <laughs> had them before. One, uh, one, well, one, the, one, the potential for them. We were was talking there. about fentanyl earlier. <laughs> no, 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 John no, no, and I. That's yeah, even scary. No, 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 you know, one in twenty Iranians. One in twenty oh, Iranians is, is that's that's five percent of the population. In the United States, we had Opium. about five percent of the population being opiate dependent around nineteen hundred, and that led to the Harrison narcotic. You know, like 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 it's. But not, now it's exploded. Uh, the number's gone back up, and 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 you know, it's heading maybe towards its natural level. I think that dropped considerably for a while. Um, before and 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 that lulled physicians into thinking they could treat pain more ma- there'd be better management with better opioids i i i think i think you're what you're seeing is a natural cycles of addiction and you know like uh, over 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 time you're going to you know like uh, no one ever wants the the drug their older brother took you know, so well, like, that, that so, we're seeing. So, That's true. So, that, so, that we're seeing. Yeah, exactly. 12, 13, 14 so year 90% olds. 90% of the opiates on earth are prescribed in our country. I I, well, I, that's not a true statement. I'm going to dispute that statement. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight you a little on that one because I think the prescribed is the key word. So most Afghan opiate production ends up in either Russia or Iran. Okay. There may and, be opium and, users and opium addicts. In Iran, there is for sure. I, I, I know firsthand there prescribed. is. Now, that, that's on a background. That's on a background that some countries don't still allow opium pres- opiate prescribing for even surgical pain. Right? So, 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 so prescribing is the, is the key word there. And, 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 and you need to – if you disentangle that – Well, no. If they, if they allow opium <laughs> prescribing for surgical pain – that means our pharmaceutical prescribing is even a higher percentage of the pills being yeah. produced in the world. Because yeah. it, so it's worse. Than, you're I, making it worse than no, I was I, saying. But again, I think, I think if you actually look at the numbers, you go back and you 80% actually, of the prescribing on earth is yeah. – because like, we lived through the yeah. – the, 70,000 kids dying yeah. last year is not a mirage. That's no, never no, happened before. No, that's we, correct. We, right? we lived through the, the thing that happened because we, we, yeah. we, all we did was treat chronic pain patients. It, exactly. We got them off opiates. That's all we did. Yeah. They had no – they would come in without exception. The, every single yeah, case yeah. – and we – again, hundreds and hundreds, yeah, and hundreds yeah. maybe thousands of these guys – yeah, uh, workers comp. Yeah, exactly. they all workers comp. They all were overprescribed. The, there's no evidence that the pain was being made worse. Exactly. They made better. They yeah. all came in and said, "How's your pain on a scale of ten? Exactly. Fifteen, 
20. And, and they're talking we on would their take, phone, and they're talking on their cell phone while they have a 20 pain. We, t- we, and, we took them know, off right. opiates. We took them off opiates. Yep. Two weeks later, they would not mention their pain unless prompted. Exactly. And they would always say five or six. So what exactly. explains yeah. that? I Well... And well, we did that just thousands of times. Well, and then they would be tap dancing for us and go do be fine, be great, be so, great. And then they're drug addicts, and then they'd get back into their workers' comp system. Exactly. And, and then they would die. And, and, and then they would die. And, exactly. And, and, yeah. and I think the explanation for that particular epidemic is multifocal. And so some people, you know, many, many people with, with hard physical jobs get injured. And to stay working like a, a few Norcos makes it much easier to, you know, pound the, the nails. 100% and, and, of them had and, severe childhood trauma. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. That was completely ignored and overlooked. Yeah. And but, no, no one asked the question so, when they came in with their so, back. So it's interesting. We're actually asking that. And we actually, we take a pretty detailed history for our REA patients. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't. You know, Alcohol is not that high. Yeah, exactly. Alcohol I was going to say it's high. it's surprising. It's uh, I have not you know abuse, neglect, trauma. I'd say maybe fifteen or twenty. So you're saying for opiate addicts, so for opiate it's very it's, high. It's, yeah, well, particularly the chronic consistent. the chronic pain patient was one hundred. Yeah, yeah. No, like and, and you have to and you have to ask you have to ask specific questions. You have to say, yeah. did they anybody ever pick up an object yeah. and hit yeah. you? Yeah. Did did you have to ask it like that? Because yeah. otherwise they will not tell you there was yeah. physical abuse. Yeah, interesting. You, you have interesting. you have to ask very specific okay. questions. You have to. Did anybody ever touch you when you were a child in places that you felt were uncomfortable? Uh-huh. You have to ask highly targeted, uh-huh. or they will go, "No, I'm fine. I was disciplined like anybody else. I got yeah. whatever." You yeah, know, yeah. disciplined. Yeah, we had a tough family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Had a tough yeah, like family. every family. Yeah, exactly. like, like every family. Like exactly. Everybody's yeah. been slapped yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they, they, you have to ask high. And then when you really start to get into it. I mean, literally, the I, routine questions. I go, oh yeah, my mom would pick up a bat once in a while. Yeah, there's a knife. There's a knife. Yeah. <laughs> oh, routinely. That, routinely. Oh, your mom too, right? Routinely, <laughs> right. yeah. And, and I would go, no, I'm not sure every family. So she's still picking that. the knife up. Yeah. Doc, doc, is she still picking a knife up? Yeah. My mom used words. <laughs> she but, the used workers, words. but the work, the workers' comp was a thing that we had that we could study in yeah. in in our way. But the thing, fascinating. That, okay. The thing that's interesting to me is, I started. I became a heroin addict in 1985. I went mm-hmm. back and looked at the the, the mm-hmm. disease control st- uh, statistics then. Yeah. 3,800 uh, uh, opioid overdose deaths in 1985. Yeah. Seven sixty-seven thousand in 2016. Yeah, there's a trend that's going in the wrong direction. <laughs> so, so, so one thing, one thing, one thing people don't talk yeah. about with all those overdose deaths yeah. too is that we now have the ability to actually measure the opiates in blood. So back in 1975, we actually did not have technology that allowed you to discriminate most of the opiates that people are dying of. Okay, so one one it, there's one there is a measurement issue here. And the measurement issue is with LC tandem mass spectroscopy. We can now we can now do a complete screen drug screen panel in one sample of blood. And I've, the I've had this. I've heard and, this argument and, before. So, so in 1985, the the Norco or the Percocet overdose, yeah, yeah. like say Elvis Presley, yeah, right, yeah, he's categorized as what then as a death, not an overdose death. No, he might still be categorized as an overdose death, but you had to look. You had to go back. I mean. Medical examiners can now, with a it, with a single blood test, screen for for over 150 drugs. Mm-hmm. So, and and when Elvis died, they had to request each one individually, and it was a major lab workup. So, this is a big change in technology. I don't think it's. I don't think we're. I don't think all you can explain 
you know, maybe 10 or 20 percent okay. of the of the increased numbers in, in better technology to detect drugs. Okay. But but and 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 when you actually sort of drill down on anyone in terms of drug use, they're often using an incredible array of substances. Right? Isn't this also at, an accessibility at, uh, yeah. question? I mean, yeah. who, who had access to fentanyl in 1985? Yeah. Or, or, yeah. or, you know, massive yeah. amounts? I of probably could have if yeah. I really <laughs> researched. And, 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 and the guy, you, well, you probably and By could. the way, Bob was a buprenorphine addict. Yeah, yeah. Buprenorphine. Did you know Dr. Howard Mark? No. He was here in Los Angeles. No. He believed in buprenorphine. Yeah. In the 80s. People are getting in the 80s, yeah. that, aren't they? Right? Oh, yeah. well, I, well, well, he was an addict. Well, I, you, to, you, to I used it intermuscularly. He was, yeah. okay. And so you were shut in your stomach and you hold yeah. your stomach out and you would have no, huh. Interesting, no withdrawal. You know, if you were strung out and you needed to travel, yeah. Yeah. for instance. Yeah. is before the tsunami of opioids all across the country. Yeah. If you traveled, there was only heroin in San Francisco, Amsterdam. Seattle, <laughs> Portland, <laughs> Chicago, sometimes Denver. So, you know but what? if you had to travel, like yeah. I was in a band, it would something? hold you over until you got there. But I also noticed that I was cool with it as long as I didn't have access to heroin. Yeah, exactly. right. I wasn't sitting there like you, the white knuckling, mm-hmm. can't wait to get yeah, to Denver. Yeah. I was just cool, so, so why but I was treated? drinking. You were drinking, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll help. But in LA, if I was drinking, I would still always at night so, go get drugs. Yeah. But, in methadone but, clinics, in methadone clinics, roughly ten to fifteen percent of the patients aren't dosed every day because they're drinking heavily. They're blowing. They're blowing greater than. They're blowing greater than oh eight. And 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 and, and uh, so. So, I think so, I couldn't have so had a alcohol, drink in twelve hours, and, and I would blow and so, away. And so the combination, <laughs> the combination of the combination of alcohol and yeah, opiates, alcohol. and that that interaction is very interesting, and one which we don't have a good handle on right now. And that's, I thought you that's, got more strung out on buprenorphine, no? Well, what do you mean by strung out? You well, he, have a, he's, well he's no, practiced. then about two years later, a friend of mine, I was always scared. Yeah. I, I wasn't a doctor. Uh, I, was, I grew up in a medical family, so yeah. doctors are like gods. You, yeah. do, you do what good, they good, say. Good. I like, I hear, My that's doctor that's told excellent. me, Dr. You, Howard Mark told me, shoot it in your mouth. Yeah. Then our buddy, Scott, who's passed uh, away, yeah. tells me, you don't have to. You can put it in a spoon and put Coke in it and <laughs> shoot it. <laughs> and I watched him do it, and good that's Lord. when... And I got, I got, got what Doctor Drew is called hooked on it. So a bupenorphine. I, I don't think anyone's. I don't think anyone's advocating a combination formulation of bupenorphine and cocaine for the treatment of anything. All of this is <laughs> the person. The person in all. I was just talking about wine. <laughs> exactly. But, but, but I'm telling you now, Trexon works for both. I, I know yeah, that yeah, you, exactly. it does. I've seen it, it, opiate it's, addicts. It's, it's just hard to get. Renee, them on it. my friend, so, yeah. got so, the Naltrexone implant. It, yeah. I yeah, 15 yeah. years ago yeah, yeah. really believed in the naltrexone implant yeah. for opiate addicts it worked it was the first time I, I ever seen him happy you know you know it's an interesting you could right? make, you could make a very interesting argument about about the if you wanted to push that a little bit that patients who were both combination alcohol addicts and opiate addicts should be best treated with naltrexone and that would actually be a very interesting be an interesting therapeutic argument to make and to and to and to and to push on and uh, and you know that that would actually be a, a worthwhile if you guys have patients that'd be a worthwhile trial to actually uh, to actually so work let's out. Get... Um, there's there 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 is there you know vivid uh, so the vivitrol has many disadvantages and the, the money pri- and prices the, prices, the price is the big I make it e- the four ml big injection. You Why know, do some insurances uh, like, pay like, for it and some don't? I mean, I think. 
uh, well, it's the same thing as why do some insurances, you know, cover? Yeah, if anyone could form of treatment, yeah. telemedicine. <laughs> yeah. Well, te- 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 that's another telemedicine is is uh, is what over ninety ninety two percent of the U.S. is covered by tel- telemedicine at this point, and yet insurance some, some is not covered by so, insurance. So the way you have to go through it, it's it uh, the. You always want to blame the insurance companies, and we're in the process right now of with with Rhea of going through the vetting process and the proof, the evidence process for an insurer, and they have a pathway for this, and and you have to follow their pathway, and the the pat they 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 need they need sufficient published data, mm-hmm. they need uh, uh, evidence that you're that the way you deliver the treatment is is uh, safe, reproducible, uh, they, they 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 have they have a they have a process. Um, and if you follow that process, you'll get your treatment approved. So it's likely that that until uh, when Alchemy's first came out with Vivitrol for alcohol abuse, and that was David Gastrand who was push who pushed that forward, mostly a, uh, a physician, a, a, a psychiatrist at Harvard. The data was awfully good. A, a, a data was good, but they never pushed it. They never sought an indication for for opiate dependence, nor did they discuss that with insurance companies. Right. So now I they, that was weird. So 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 now. Wait, they, though, I'm just uh, thinking wait, as so, a criminal. So my friend could say he's an alcoholic, maybe, and get it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. If his insurance covers it. Yeah. Well, if you, if you had the exactly, and, and, and the, but, but the implant would be difficult. Way, you, you, but, why do we have to out trick our medical system? But, but, but you, you, you have to go. You have Believe to go. Me, you I have, have, yeah, I have people who cannot get naltrexone. You, yes. Nobody's ever overdosed from naltrexone. Yes. It's non-addictive. It is an opiate blocker. Yet their doctor refuses to prescribe it, especially off-label, yeah. like I eat. You know, taking it before you drink. But it, not even if the guy, if the patient comes in and says, "I have enormous cravings for alcohol." Naltrexone. That's what it's proven to help in clinical yeah, trials, yeah, yeah. and the doctor will refuse them this potentially yeah. life-saving medication. Exactly. This subset of patients that have these huge cravings and stuff, we used to, if you remember these guys, we would see them once in a while early in treatment too, and, and they're hard to keep in treatment because yeah. they're, they're, they're crazed by, yeah. the, by the preoccupation. Acamprosate sometimes really works for that. Yeah. I, I have heard yeah. that. I haven't taken it personally, yeah. but but I also know that, that for some people who about thirty percent yeah. of the time, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. They ha- I don't think yeah. they had no checks on that licensing. Did no, they? No, I used to use it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we used it. So which I've never used it like this though. So it can perceive yeah. and and yeah. Uh, people are a lot of people who don't have the tolerance for especially now morphine, which is what they use in the in the UK and in Europe for alcohol use disorder, um, has. Side effects that certain people simply cannot endure. Well, um, and you can get this horrible muscle cramps. Muscle cramps, too, yeah. flu, flu-like yeah, symptoms. Is, and I've and only saw that a couple times, but it was bad. When it yeah, happens. and and I think that's I mean, you know, like polypharmacy is completely underutilized in addiction space, and uh, and uh, you know, camprosate is is. A, I I think the real story with with pharmacotherapy and alcohol addiction is that we have a bunch of weak players. They all work to some degree. Mm-hmm. None of them are in, none of them are silver bullets. And when you when you have a bunch of drugs that that and, and naltrexone is the best. Naltrexone is absolutely the best one, right? That you know, like you can get a good response out of if the patients tolerate naltrexone and are motivated and have the right supports, you get a good response in naltrexone. At least half or half the patients. Twenty five years but, later in Finland, they've been using it as the yeah. the number one form but of treatment. How long have you been on it? Uh, since 2009. But Did you still take it once in a while? Or do you once in a while, yeah. yeah, once in a blue moon. But in, in Finland, they've been using it since the 90s. It was yeah. actually funded by an act of parliament mm-hmm. there. Um, they still have a 78% long-term success rate. That's three yeah. out of four patients successfully treated right. that way. So it's it's... 
it's if it's done correctly but once again you put in human fallibility non-compliance and, uh, you know this kind of thing yeah. oh i don't want to wait the hour it, nothing is perfect and, as and, you said and, and studies here show yeah. show a, a lower response rate but still you know important and and we're certainly showing a pretty good response rate with it and i think uh, they, so the question is the question is how do you how do you com- you know what what are the best ways to combine things what are the best ways to motivate patients and what are the best ways to get you know like 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 the, the treatments out there and used. Uh, I think uh, one of, uh, from again from our side of the story of the, I, I totally agree that 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 naltrexone can induce a very nice response in a very substantial number of patients, but you still need to have have some way to measure what they're drinking. So one of the things we wrestle with patients on is that they say, "Oh, you know, doc, I I, I they I'm blowing they're blowing point two when they first come in." breathalyze point two at the end of a, mm. a drinking evening, and we bring them down to point one in three weeks. They say it's not working, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah. go, why do you mean it's not working? And you're like, you're half, you're drinking half the amount of alcohol you used to drink, and your BAC is now almost at the legal limit, which is still massively too high. But it's not, you know, we need to give you more, not less. But that's partly the disease is sneaky disease. The disease is sneaky People disease. People want that an says, overnight success. Yeah. No, no. They also the, the disease doesn't want to go away. The disease yeah. likes to stick around, yeah. right? So, how it's long as- do you think it sticks around for? Because I have my thoughts about it. Well, okay. I believe that uh, if you can make the five-year point, yeah. you're well, pretty clear sailing. Yeah, yeah. that's why right? I never yeah. encourage anybody with long-term and sobriety you, to. But try we never this, tell yeah. them that in the first month. So that this is going to be a five-year process, or even because then they'll even, get bummed out and go drink, yeah. <laughs> or, or even even a one. So there is with precious little data on recovery. Yeah, precious little data on, on, on recovery. Re- recovery meaning what? Like the the temporal pattern of recovery, the 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 uh, uh, the what, persistence. What do, we, what do you mean by recovery? What does that mean? It's a, a consistent question. thought I, pattern. I, no, 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 no. I'm talking about if you look at national survey, national survey of drug use and health data, or NARSTAC data. You know, stuff from the uh, ARG and uh, Berkeley uh, in terms of incidence and prevalence of drinking. Right. We know that the we know that the that that the Drinking that amongst people who've had a drinking problem, right there, that th- th- there's a peak and it tends to decline over time, right. So, we, but we don't know anything about that process of, uh, you know, like 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 if if you had so if for example, if you have asthma at age twenty, right, I can give you some prediction of how much asthma you're likely to have at thirty, forty, fifty, and sixty. Okay, mm-hmm. could be the same, could be a little less. If you have obesity at age 20, I can tell you what your weight's going to look like at 30, 40, 50, 60. If you have alcohol addiction at age 20, I can't tell you what your addiction's going to look like by numbers, right, at 30, 40. But I sort of can because actually if you look at, if you look at the, the peak incidence of binge drinking in the United mm-hmm. States, College. it happens in 20, well, 26, post-college, 26 years old, and it declines every year after that. Okay, but that's binge so, drink. That's binge. binge use well, disorder. but binge drinking is actually very well it's connected. Very, very well connected with alcohol use disorder. Right, and but there's a subset of binge drinkers. Un, un, but but still, the decline in numbers of yeah. binge drinkers. So you know, it's it's really interesting. So I don't think I totally agree with you that if you make it to five years in almost anything, you're probably okay. Mm-hmm. But like with breast cancer, we can tell someone they that they say make it, that. Yeah, you've made five years. You're cured. 
right? So, so we need that for well, we, we need that for addiction. We need it for addiction. and one of the things that I think makes data, it difficult. Uh, to, to John Kelly out of Harvard has yeah, data yeah, that yeah. shows at five years, if you can takes on average four treatments yeah. to make it five years exactly. Uh, four, four treatment to get to get one year of treatment, and yeah. if you make it five years of abstinence, your risk ratio right. goes back to normal, back it, to the same as the average population. And then, and then some of those people resume drinking, and they don't resume harmful drinking, which is amazing. And some of those people and, resume yeah, drinking, yeah. binge, and die. Exactly. Exactly. not something you so want this, to play around this is, with. This is an absolutely fascinating area, and I think we need to have for you know we ought to have better risk stratification for people over time, and that would be really useful. You know, that would be really a useful kind I've of, found that people and, on TSM take anywhere from uh, three months to some people have to up their dose and go 12, nine to 12 months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some doctors say, think, nine you know. Nine months for what? Uh, for to do what? Now, nine, tra- nine to 12 months nine, to, to, to. Nine to 12 months to, to reach what we call extinction, which is you no longer think. Yeah. Alcohol yeah. is like meh. Yeah. I not, could take it or leave it. You know, and then they plan their if they go to a New Year's Eve party or something, they'll say, yeah. "Well, you know what? Tonight, I'll who take helps a pill. with that planning? That's what I because because I believe we are a broken society, and that's why all this is happening. Well, that's why. So so mm-hmm. so attachment, community, mm-hmm. you know, so important. It's so important. Mm-hmm. So to say, and I have you know. I talk with my friends. They talk with me. I'm going to visit my mother. I'm going to be there for two days. It's a trigger. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know I mean? Can I call you? But exactly. I just think that part of the rise in addiction in America is the lack of, of fellowship and community. Yes. Absolutely. And that's why I say, why can't you combine? I always encourage people if they mm-hmm. if they like AA or smart recovery. There's no re- the, your only obligation is the desire to quit drinking. So I'm talking about just talking to your neighbors. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But yep. broken yep. down. But that's also yep. shame and stigma when somebody calls you a drunk or weak or or lazy or disgusting. It, you're not exactly going to turn to that person and say, you know what? So, I, I I'd like to talk to you. What? No, about you move triggers. to a new neighborhood yeah. and make new friends. <laughs> exactly. you, you bring up a really interesting thing though well, with those words you were using because we we reserve a special disdain for women that drink. Women eat it, take yeah. it. They know they take it more than anybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. women. Our women. Our oh, oh, it's not, not you guys personally. I, no, I, no, not that. us. We don't personally. I was going to say, what the hell? Have, thank, no, have, thank you very much. Got, thank got, you very much. We'll be back no, some no, other time. No, no, no. We got zero, but 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 the world uses these words. Oh, these. You know what? Some some. I I never forget this, but one of my biggest triggers was there was a relative of mine that used to say, "You're so ugly when you you're so you're so bloated. You look so ugly." And these words. Words were such they don't triggers. say that to no. men. No, <laughs> never. No, That's did they the say point. you look bloated? Yeah. No. Have you been drinking? <laughs> you never. You never. You never. Say you never. Like no. No. Nothing. No. You, you never say, say to a guy. Say you're, you're out of control, dude. You go. You're, 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 hey, you're, you're hey, wasted, man. You're man. working pretty hard no. these days. Yeah, exactly. but, but a woman yeah. is sloppy or disgusting or yeah. Yeah. You know, all of these words. That's oh, she was. She was so, wasted. So, so that's great. So we should stigmatize men more. Well, no, no. Maybe I'm missing the point of the conversation. It's the meanness of our. Well, no, I would argue that I. I think you you hit the word which was disgusting. All those words imply disgusting. Yeah. All of it, and, yeah. and, I, and I have to say something, and I, I made this point today in social media. I don't usually engage on social media, but somebody referred – they were trying to give a compliment to somebody who had achieved three years of complying on TSM and had alcohol meant nothing to them anymore, and they came mm. out, yeah. so to speak. Right. That day they said, I, I haven't talked about this because I thought it would hurt my business, but I want you to know I've been on TSM for this long. And one of their in-laws chimed in and said, oh, I'm so glad because you know, uh, most of my family are a bunch of drunks. And I and I and I just interjected and I said, you know, that just that's just not a healthy term. 
It's just mm. not something yeah. that, that if you're going to be on board with somebody in recovery on any stage of their recovery, let's start. Would you call somebody that's bipolar uh, crazy, bonkers? Mm. You know, uh, what, you don't use those words anymore. We're we're more respectful, yeah. and I think mental illness is a is a great Still pattern to. No, we, we, it's come a long way. And now we have to treat addiction in the same manner. You know, we, all of these lazy, immoral, and all, all this junk is so antiquated, and we really need to start getting rid of those. And oh, there's semantics, but it's it's something that's. And I don't important. know how we do in a society that's so divided and so so yeah. broken. Well, like, so, well, you well, live in Valhalla. More you of live us, in San Francisco. You know, what, exactly. you know, Bob. But more of us have to come out and be yeah. honest about that's our stories. That's what I was going to say. And, yeah. and, and I think it was one of the most liberating things in the world. I wrote a book that's, about it, made a film about it, and you know what? The second you come out of the closet and you say yeah, I had this problem. Thousands of people come to you and say, oh, so do I. Well, exactly. listen, so, right. me too. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's why I think me too needs to be spread out me across too a is, lot well, of other things. You know <laughs> yeah. what? One of the, uh, I, I did a TED Talk, and I tell that's, you, that reached more people than anything because mm-hmm. people, the second they Google you know, yeah. alcohol, bam, it comes up and they go, and they identify with that person mm-hmm. who's talking to you. And I think the, the less shame and stigma, but you know this, so, I'm just so, preaching to the choir. I, I have a whole <laughs> thing about stigma, I, I, and I, I've got to give a talk on that soon, and I'm trying to figure out how to frame it, actually. You know anybody... Good Without study. looking like an authoritarian, <laughs> right? No, it's, it's that there's not. It's all very uh, loosey goosey. Well, no, I think area. actually, I, I, they, I think uh, we should start calling people out for these names. Like I, I, I do it every time. I don't, I don't like well, that. But I, I think, I, I think addict. I'm, I have a hard time well, with that. Drunk I, is different than a, addict. Clean and dirty. I say yeah. compulsive clean, behavior. Yeah. Clean I, and dirty. I, I, Try to get away from clean and dirty. Try to yeah. get away yeah. from you know like. Uh, uh, the, 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 well, this the, is actually I, the thing I'm doing is more towards mental health, not just addiction, but the the, the stigmas around stuff. And I, yes, it's, 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 haven't, but it's changed for the well, better. I have so many it is, people I know in these is, communities still, saying, "Yeah, I'm bipolar." Hey, hey, I'm. But I, does I, it yeah. has to come from within? Yes. So for yes. years, I identified as a musician. Mm-hmm. Right, that was my occupation. Then you are that. We do this in America. Whatever our occupation mm-hmm. yes. is, who we are. Then I became a drug addict, yeah. and that that rehab world and the twelve step world reinforces labeling yourself yeah. this mm-hmm. addict, right? Which I didn't have a problem with. But over the years, especially the last five or six or seven, I most identify with the term father or parent. Mm -hmm. And we have to allow ourselves to have these organic, natural, Mm -hmm. acknowledge, rather than say, no, I'm a drug addict. Mm -hmm. You know, I I have to to identify, or I'm a musician. And there's, there's labels that... That, or I I, think, identification. I but think I, words are very strong, but, too. But I think oh. in all this conversation belies a, a phenomenon that's called self-stigma, self-stigmatizing, mm-hmm. which I think is more present than we realize. Mm-hmm. And, and people externalize that mm-hmm. as the world stigmatizing me, but I think the self-stigma, yes. lack of self-efficacy, feelings of self-whatever, you know, broken mm-hmm. – that's, I think, where the real powerful stuff is that people are not really yeah. talking about yeah. right now. Well, I also, every time somebody would debate the disease model, uh, you know, and, and uh, Dr. Sinclair himself always called this a learned behavior, which is a much gentler way of discussing alcoholism. But the only thing I said about a disease is, okay, it, it, it is progressive and it can kill me. And I felt more comfortable in that in, as opposed to standing up every day and saying, I'm in this disease. I don't want to be in it. I want to get through it. I want to get through the other side and look back and say, wow, that was really a, a, a crappy, nearly decade-long mm-hmm. battle to fix it, much like cancer or any other thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't like to play the semantics word, but, but, but so much of that is attached to stigma. Mm-hmm. You know, Standing up and saying, I'm an addict, I'm an addict, I'm an addict every day. 
And a lot of people can't, that triggers them. That That's just, you know, it's it's more labeling. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It is yourself. If you, once you say, now I'm an yeah. advocate or now I'm a father. Because in the recovering community, mm-hmm. words like addict and junkie are, are dealt with playfully. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're de- defanged. You know, you used to call yourself a junkie all the time. Yeah. You know, we, I, now, now you've been a little more, a little more. I know. When I call you junkie these days, you got, you got <laughs> a little like more dicey about it. I don't like it. I'm playful with wino, but I don't like. I don't like the sloppy or disgusting no, or any well, of that. Drunk is, or no, no, disgusting, disgusting is ugly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, exactly. here's another thing. Uh, here's another thing that happened with discipline. my with my group of people that 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 terminology. We just it was. We accepted it because we we had a bunch of musicians who got sober, probably at the highest rate of any occupation in Los Angeles. Yeah, I would, I would believe. agree. Yeah, and we were so connected to each other that that calling ourselves drug addicts really wasn't a negative. But then I started having different types of experiences. Doctors, uh, for some reason, we had the doctors' diversion program at our hospital, and they loved me, and they would ask me to sponsor them or become go, you know, mm-hmm. sit down for coffee, and so. They didn't like the term. And I know. <laughs> yeah, 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 no kidding. <laughs> and, no. and I it evolved my thinking about it. Not everybody likes the term alcoholic. <laughs> if you prefaced it with doctor, they'd be happier. Doctor junkie? Alcoholic MD, I think. Doctor junkie. I think right. It, no, I, you no, know, no. like you know, professor. My, the, my 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 only concern though was that I always felt they should not have any more emotion attached to it than if we call them asthmatic. Well, here's the reason we should ask. We're, we're trying to see this evolution in Suboxone. He was just a part of the opioid conference with Trump. Yeah. And it looks like Suboxone is going to be a major player in Medicaid, right? Yes. Doctors can't be on Suboxone and practice medicine. Why that's, is that? That's been that's our thing. That's always our question. Why that's always been it? our it's thing. A, nor can it's airline a weird pilots, thing, right? Doctors no, can what? You can't, we don't prescribe it to ourselves, no. ever. Yeah. Yes. And there's good so, data, and I've just pulled some data they, where they say no. It's still, it's still verboten by the medical boards, as well as having an alcohol problem, as well as being treated for it. it you know, like it's, it's complicated around whether we, can, uh, whether, we, whether we can treat or not. I think... Uh, uh, the for opiate for opiates, uh, there the DEA is concerned about who has access to the prescri- prescription pad, and uh, what people might do either you know to like to like sell or divert their you well, know of the, course of their, course their but they have the highest but, success but, rate of recovery. And, and, the doctor's diversion and, program is the most and, successful and, drug program in America. And one of the place one of the best places to and and. and for some of the physicians, like if the physicians are in outpatient medicine where they have no access to drugs, I don't think there's a big issue. But my wife's an anesthesiologist. And, we sent you know, her back to have, anesthesia. And, they, and, we, our patients were anesthesiologists and cardiologists. Yeah, and yeah. I think anesthesia. And, and we had how high? 90? Yeah. In the 80s, it was quantifiable I, I, and documented I, I, that doctor's diversion I, is the most yeah, successful. Yeah, I think, I think, and I think, they're not using Suboxone. So, no. Then they don't. Not, absolutely no Suboxone. No, no, no I think, so I think, then, why aren't they using that? I gave them Naltrexone. Yeah, Naltrexone. I gave them Naltrexone because I was worried about them using them while they were on the job. So why don't they use that as a study? Yeah, so I think... Well, it's very punitive. Yes, actually. It's very brutal. The doctor's diversion system is extremely brutal. not as bad as nursing. not as bad as nursing. And... 
and and they, is and, way worse. and and it's and and it's all about and the medical board gets extra points for taking licenses away. No, so. no, 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 no. I worked with those guys very closely. They okay. hold them. They, remember, they hold them in okay. good stead. They they would to hold be them earned over back. Their heads, yeah, right. sort of damage. But, but they would. But they. But that's what got the motivation. Get them into treatment. That's what I think. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I've had, I've had a few I've had a few docs come in. It's it's you know the, the, for my opiate practice and for and for the uh, I know alcohol three who've lost their licenses. Yeah. But but yeah. It's, it's it's a complicated and it, but you know like, like should anyone? I mean, if you're going to ask the question whether physicians should lose their access to their careers over over you know over drugs, then you got to ask the question whether everyone should. Well, airline and, pilots should. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doctors <laughs> should. Yeah, bus drivers. I'm, I'm should. reading bus seven drivers. airline pilots. <laughs> yeah, you're no. very. So, no, no. I'm, so let me tell no, my story they, from my they first can take drug treatment. Yeah. because I know, they, but they don't be very careful. Oh, oh, no, I've worked yeah. with United Airlines. Before we go, before we go, let me <laughs> yeah. tell my first. You, you drug could be treatment. taking a liability. You're so, not aware so of. I was in my first drug treatment, in 1988 yeah. or 89. I can't remember. I'm just running a nonprofit. And and it was at a time. I'm not charging. Wait, Drew. It was at a time when the Northwest Airlines. Airline pilots yeah. were arrested off the plane. I remember that. Remember, I remember, that? That. remember that? I was the in rehab was with those guys. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone in the group, you know, in 12-step Hazelden, right? 12-step, just yeah. really like, it's really fucked up what you did to the pilots, <laughs> to the right? Pilots. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking like, I'm a musician. Who could I hurt? You know what I mean? <laughs> with a drumstick. <laughs> and so, so, so there was this it got very confrontational because because yeah, yeah. the you know the idea that they were flying drunk with, you know yeah. what I mean yeah. so there was all this animus towards them this old little dude like he looked like 75 years old but he was like an alcoholic he was probably 60 right <laughs> and he just said boy y'all don't want to know what I do for a living <laughs> <laughs> is he a surgeon no brain he surgeon was a train conductor oh, yeah. of oh, yeah. the railroad that took the nuclear waste through oh, the yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly exactly and I think everybody just went <laughs> that's even and worse than a pilot that's even worse slow up a whole city so, so oh what you're bringing God. up is another area we actually are working on in our oh academic side which is impairment measurement really? and, yeah. and, and you really want to know who's impaired at at a particular moment in time, and uh, <laughs> do you know, we? And do we really? I, I think. I think actually, what you want to do, you know, sort of. I think you want to know for yourself. Brain I surgeon, mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, brain surgeon, definitely, yeah. and even yeah. musician about whether you're going to should go on stage. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, yeah. I mean, a big problem we're having now is drug driving in elderly patients, right? Drug, drug, drug pe- driving. People, right. people, people yeah. prescribe Benadryl. People yeah. prescribe Benadryls right. I've got over a, the I've, counter. Yes, or a, or a late night benzo, a half milligram of clonopin. No, I think we're just talking. We're talking, you know, uh, nortriptyline. We're talking, uh, you know, uh, basically, there's an issue about whether when people should drive and they shouldn't drive, and and prescription medications that aren't considered, you know, like habit forming or abusable, can impair people's driving. In fact, there's a Great group Absolutely. out of Holland that you guys should talk to, where they actually have them. They built special cars that have the two steering wheels and the two sets of brakes, and they have like a camera that goes over the side of the car mm. and stares down at the little lane divider. Mm. And they have people they they put they they give people medications and then they have them drive and they can demonstrate driving impairment. They measure the the deviation for the center line. They're told to drive. They have a course on the road. Right, it's absolutely fantastic work. Wow. And it's, so, and, a couple and, quick emails, everybody. Forty-eight-year-old yeah. disabled veteran living in New York City prescribed clonopin and oxy for depression. Mm. Okay, oxycontin <laughs> for depression. Even I know that's nuts. And goes, It'll work though. And pain, <laughs> and pain, uh-huh. and I'm addicted to both. Uh, I admitted myself to VA hospital twice. All they offer is a two-week program at Suboxone. I need help. He's not making it. She's not working. It's Tamara. She's so. Not. 
The VA it, is. It, it depends on how long she's because there's some weird thing where they move over to Tricare after the first two years I, out I of the service. I will just tell you the big problem. Tricare offers offers alternative uh, treatments. And I everything. talked to Dr. Sulkin and I said, "Look, you're not." giving any sort of handoff you, you need yeah. some sort of warm handoff a warm shake to get somebody involved in other connected organizations or groups or you're, the VA is this huge monstrosity you're trying to mill them through you, you've got to have some you've talked about coaching groups or yeah. some personal sort of connection to keep them coming back and connected well I, I yeah. think I'd want to know in this email what they mean by not making it yeah, I know. Are they having? Are they having? Are they having? Are they using opiates? Are they yeah. drinking? Yeah. Oxycon- are they having Oxycontin, Oxycontin and Clonopin? But still, I mean, she's still using scared. Oxycontin and Clonopin. Yes, that just, would make you more depressed. Well, I don't understand that. why that combination. I know why they end up on that combination because they always are in chronic withdrawal yeah. and they can't sleep and they have yeah. back pain and somebody puts a yeah. benzo on. Yeah, and once and once they go on, it's impossible to get. It's very difficult. So much to get study off. being done with cannabis for post-traumatic stress disorder, but the VA is and which is phenomenal results. And the VA is like hey. I began in Iowa. You know, and too. We, were, we were talking earlier <laughs> that you know it takes and, and, and like MDMA. ten. So I, yeah, ten, I have an IND for LSD. I'm ten one of the few to twenty years who actually has, from research who to practice. That. Are you doing research with it? No, That's we're not anymore. Delayed. Do, we why are. not? Why not? Yeah. Well, we ran out of funding and uh, and. Uh, uh, frankly, I'm doing the, a documentary on Lucian. I may need to interview you. Yeah, for you that may you because, can come up and talk to some of our people. I, because, I was the PI, and because uh, I don't understand why it's not being investigated more. Um, well. This is a whole other topic, but, yeah. but yeah. I'm fascinated. Let's get into yeah. ayahuasca, Please. MDMA. Sorry, 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 <laughs> but I gotta know. So, 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 so that was that was so. My lab, we we actually had uh, we actually uh, did uh, several NIH funded studies with MDMA. Well, that's and MDA. for PTSD, but what about the hallucinogens per se? And, well, we were interested in those. So Roland Griffiths at, at Hopkins is the guy you really want to talk Roland to. Roland Griffiths. And, yeah. and is for end-of-life stuff, or is it for PTSD? Um, or? No, no, no. Roland is actually interested in how spiritual things actually happen. He's interested in the mechanisms of... of Isn't of everybody. <laughs> exactly. Roland. Why do you think we yeah, drank? Griffiths. Roland, Roland, Roland. Okay. Exactly. Came damn What's close to spiritual. Griffiths. G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H-S, Roland Griffiths. And and but and, there's the UCLA was doing a whole thing on end of life too. Yeah, that was Charlie Grobe. That was Charlie Grobe, and Charlie is not. But I thought Charlie was being a little disingenuous. He's interested in end of life, but also there were they were also making the pitch that people wouldn't be as messed up if they were end of life patients. That you know, like if you couldn't you could, be harmed, as much. couldn't do as much harm. Yeah, couldn't do as well, much it's damage. True. I mean, that's true. I don't think that's the case. I think if you're harmed, you're harmed, and I think uh, you're not willing to push it into. You're not willing to push your medications into 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 people at at younger age points. You shouldn't be willing to give them to people who are dying either. But I, I don't so, you know, personally. I relate because so, I thought if I were dying, I would want to, I'd be willing to take that risk. Um. So 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 most people plus death I have an, is, I have death an is an internist. Plan. <laughs> since, since you practice, death, death is now death is now a very different thing. Than In what it was. sense? In what sense? Oh, just because <laughs> medical therapy exactly. <laughs> A case of Chateau Neuf de Pop, sweetie. That's exactly. the end of life. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want to label you, but Sorry. most people that think like me have that plan that you just mimic well, to but, like. So, but, but listen, so, it, they, what, what we're telling you is inter- whenever, they, no one else sees patients die except internists and oncologists. Exactly. And they send them all to us to die. Exactly. Always. And we just deal and, with it, deal with it, deal with it, deal with it. And, 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 and for even, me, having improved end of life sort of options to me sounds very appealing. Yeah, so the problem is that 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 if you if you if you're doing really well with what other other end of life options you have, I mean opiates. Uh or 
uh, stimulants in some cases to keep your energy level up. Uh, in some cases, just uh, assistive devices. Yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, you like, said, uh, oxycontin was a good uh, drug no, for that. Yeah, it, for, it is. Yeah, but how about when you're and, 20 and just bummed out? <laughs> and 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 if you look, if you look at, if you look like heart failure, if you look at heart failure, yeah. it, 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 yeah. so congestive heart failure yeah. is a common mechanism yeah. of death for people, who, yeah. and they either have long-standing high blood pressure, they've had heart attacks, they have something called diastolic dysfunction. Right, we can maintain their them without much dyspnea for for a very long period of time. Yes, but when they finally deteriorate, the deterioration is usually rapid, like yeah. a week or two yeah. before death intervenes. Yeah. So, 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 so we can we can so so why would you spend a day getting intoxicated on LSD if you're really doing well for like nine months before? I, I, and, I agree with that. And, and, and that's, that's, that's you, been the real challenge. That's the listen, challenge. Just just getting a yeah. heart failure patient to understand they have a limited life expectancy yeah. is very very difficult. Uh, a cancer patient kind of gets that. He, but and so he, I'm really thinking of cancer patients. Even when you tell that patient, they they hear the biggest number. You tell them I, survi- I hear, I sur- survival is any place from one to five years. But, I'll be here in five years, doc. Don't worry. I get you. You know, I so, get you. So, uh, you know. But it's also if your pain is that overwhelming. I've had friends who passed from incredibly yeah. painful cancer, and yes, they took the morphine, oh, oxycontin. Sure, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, that's what it's designed for. That's it was, what it's yeah, exactly, for. exactly. Sure, but, but a lot but of, for a lot of people, it's more the functional decline over time that they don't that they, yes. they, they, yeah. they, they, they don't have the energy to get up and do things. They have like an hour or two a day. Oh, exactly. Hard, yeah. bad things. But, no. but, 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 you know, like, it's not fear of death, then. It's like, it's just can't accomplish a lot. Lack of productivity. A lot of productivity. Yeah. All right, guys, we've got to wrap this thing up. It has been a privilege and a pleasure. Awesome. Claudia, Claudia Christian, is there a website yeah, you want to refer to? C3 Foundation. C3Foundation.org. And uh, yeah, we, we, we need help to put people. that on the website. C3Foundation.org. Uh, and Dr. Mendelson. Uh, RIA Health. R I A Health.com. And describe again who should be checking you guys out. Uh, anyone who wants to cut their drinking down or stop it. And, a, and, your and, alcohol use disorder is really what that, we're that, that is, that t- We're completely focused. We're building a vertical system that treats that. But before I for, wrap, there was for, a guy, there was a group down here, Dr. Jaffe, doing moderation, Audi, man- I, yeah. 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 I, moderation yeah. management and stuff. You yeah. really is this the new incarnation of that to some um, extent? Yes, yes and no. I think where we fit that really no one has gone before is is this area of quantifying your behaviors yeah. and so, so, and and yeah. making and making therapeutic decisions based on quantification and on support. So it, we're focused on keeping people moving forward, and and uh, and that's what we that's what, that's the machine we built. Great, awesome, Bob. Anything All else? All right. Just I got to get home. The kids are waiting for me. How old? How old? <laughs> Two and seven. Two and seven. I think. All right, you live. And did one, anything, Susie, you made eighteen it? and twenty-one. So all right, so, all right we'll just, see you next time. Yeah, I see you out the door. Remember, you can find all these podcasts at drdrew.com. The Dr. Drew Podcast, the This Life Podcast, and the Adam and Drew Podcast, which is available five days a week. Find them all on iTunes and rate us five stars. Subscribe and get it first. And if you're really happy, click on the Amazon banner at drdrew.com to help support the show. We'll thank you for it. If you join the email list via drdrew.com slash contact, we'll send you a weekly infusion newsletter with Dr. Drew's News. We're so grateful when you get in touch. We read all your emails and we'll bring you the subject matter you want to hear about. You live.